So we come now to our sermon text as we are continuing through our series on the Gospel of Matthew. We call All Hail the King. And of course, that is because Matthew presents Christ as the King, the Messiah, the one who, to whom all of us ought to bend the knee in praise and in repentance and in faith. And coming into Matthew 20, we are confronted again by one of the parables of Christ. And of course, these parables uh, are stories that are designed to teach us and show us uh, more about this kingdom that Christ is building that is already here and is yet to be fulfilled. And so let us listen as Jesus once again opens his mouth and instructs us as recorded in Matthew chapter 20. Beginning in verse 1, we read these words of our Savior. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went out, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foremen, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those who hired first came, thought uh, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled to the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to, each, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And this is the holy word of the Lord. Fairness and justice and equality and equity, these are all words that come at us today uh, like a continual repeating loop. They're like a song in your Spotify playlist that just turns up again and again and again. And it's, it's fascinating that the world in which we live is, is obsessed with this idea of fairness and justice Because what it tells us is that people have at least some sense that things are not right in this world. That injustices do exist. That people are not always treated fairly. But the problem is that in our pursuit for justice and fairness, we usually end up creating more injustice and more fairness. We we try to make things fair for all 
And we inevitably make them unfair for some. And like all things human, our fallen and sinful uh, natures will corrupt our sense of what is fair and what is just. And many times we think that we are treating someone well, that we are treating them uh, injustice, but in fact we are trampling down others and ignoring their needs. Cruelty and hatred are still ugly, rotting wounds, no matter how much we may try to cover them up with our human philosophies and theories and emotionally charged words. You see, sin cannot overcome other sins. Evil cannot defeat evil, even if the comic book might tell you otherwise. Fighting injustice with injustice only leads to greater injustice. So the world really needs something better. We need something better. And what we need is God's justice. In the kingdom of heaven, we find that true justice, true justice comes only from God who gives his children not what they deserve, but what they absolutely need. The gospel is the generous grace of God that brings the healing and the forgiveness that we know this world needs, that will cancel out all human injustice. And here in Matthew 20, Jesus tells us a story, a parable, that helps us to see the true justice of God and understand that it is far better than all human ideas of justice because it actually meets our need, the need of being forgiven, the need of being, once again, restored to our God. The story begins with a man, as we see, a wealthy man, a owner of a vineyard, and it's time to harvest his crop, to, to bring in the grapes, to, to crush them out, get the juice ready to, to put it up and, and make the wine. And so he goes out at first light as the sun is beginning to, to peek over the horizon, and he hires some workers. And in the first century a Roman world, a workday was divided into roughly 12 hours. It usually went from sunrise to sunset. And so if you were a day worker, a day laborer, you worked this 12-hour shift. Your day would begin around 6 a.m. and at around 6 p.m. And so finding some workers, he hires them, and he agrees to pay them each one denarius for the day's work. And that is fair. That is the average wage for a working day at this time in history. It was normal. It was appropriate. And so the workers, they have no issue agreeing with it. So they head out into the field. They begin their work. And now it's around nine in the morning. And the master goes out again. And we don't know why he goes out, but he goes out to the public market. Perhaps he had some goods to buy and he sees some others that are just standing there with no work. They're not able to, they're not able to work for the day and earn their income. They have a real need. And so the man sees them and he hires them. And he says, I'll pay you whatever is right. And he sends them out to join the first group of workers in the vineyard. And that little phrase, I'll pay you whatever right, is, 
is meant to capture our attention. I mean, we're supposed to assume, well, since three hours of the day have already passed, they're probably going to make a little less than the first group. The landowner again goes out, we're told, and he hires yet another group around the sixth hour, about halfway through the day. So we figure, well, hey, they're probably going to get paid half. And then he goes out, we're told, at the 11th hour. And this is a bit unusual. Why is he going out at the 11th hour of the day? I mean, there's only one hour left to work. But he goes out, he sees men who have been standing all day. They have not been paid because they have not had, not had any work to do. And he says, come to my vineyard and work for the remaining hour. And they do. It's been a long work day under the hot sun. And now it is finally time to pay all these laborers. And so the master calls his foreman and he says, bring the workers together and pay them the reward for their labor. And now we really begin to get a sense that something is up here. Something doesn't seem right. Because he tells his foreman, he says, you know what? Pay the guys who came at the 11th hour, pay them first. And so... He does. Now, this is not the conventional thing to do. Normally, you would pay the first workers and let them go home first. Things seem a bit reversed, and it it, it gets stranger. We read in verse 9, When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Imagine that, a whole day's wage only for working one hour. I mean, that sounds like a great job, doesn't it? The group hired at midday, they line up to receive their pay. What do they get? Well, maybe they'll get two denarii. I mean, these guys that came at the end, they've, they got at least all day's wage. Maybe we'll get two. Nope, they get one denarius. And then the last group lines up and they're thinking, well, you know what, we did work the whole day and, and he was a generous master. He gave gave these men who came at the end of the day a whole day's wage. He's probably going to give us two days' wage, three days' wage. Let's see what he gives us. Nope. He gives them one denarius, a day's wage. Everyone, regardless of when they started the day, gets the same reward for their labor. And that doesn't seem very fair at all, does it? I mean, that, that feels like injustice. Where's the justice in that? And they do what all of us would have done, no doubt, if we were in their shoes. They begin to grumble and complain to the boss. They want more. They want what they thought was fair and just for their work. They want what they thought they deserved. And we can kind of see their point, can't we? I mean, you kind of empathize with these guys. They worked the whole day, and they got the same wage as the guys who only worked one hour But here's the thing. Jesus is setting this up to show us that what we think is fair and just is often not what God knows is fair and just. The funny thing about Jesus' parables is that he often tells them in such a way that we end up taking the wrong side of the story. I mean, think about it. Uh, The the parable of the prodigal son, it's in, in, in Luke's gospel. And you know, we are all fairly familiar with that parable. And you see that the younger son demands his father's inheritance and he takes it and he goes out and he squanders it and lives in a very immoral way and just parties away. 
And now he is broken and destitute. And in that moment, he goes back to his father. And his father receives him in love and compassion. And he clothes him in a fine robe. And he, he throws a great feast for his son has returned. Now the older son, the father's older son, he's been faithful to the father all along. And he's never gotten a feast. And you kind of look at that and say, well, well wait a minute. Why didn't he get a feast? I mean, he, he's been loyal to the Father. We do it with other parables as well, including this story. We first see it and we sympathize with these workers who had worked the full day. Even when we get to the end of the story and we begin to see Jesus' point, we still feel like you know something feels off. Something seems wrong here. Well, the problem isn't with Jesus at all. The problem is with us. Our reaction to what we see unfolding in this story is grounded in human ideals of justice and fairness. God's justice and judgment are not the same as our fallen human notions of justice and judgment. See, the first group of workers whom were hired at the beginning of the day, they thought that since they had done so much more, that they had worked so uh, much harder than the others, that they deserved more at the end of the day. I mean, you can hear the drama in verse 12 uh, as they, they, they lay out their complaint to the master. He said, they say, you've made them, meaning the first group, you've made them equal to us. We've done more than them. We're better than them. I mean, we have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And no doubt that is true. They've worked this long, hot day. But here's the problem with their complaint. They're comparing themselves to others and thus they're failing to see the very reward they have been graciously given, that they, which they had received. They are jealous that the other workers worked less but received the same pay. How dare you bless them the same way? See, jealousy or envy and covetousness, they are all silent sins. And we we often have a tendency to excuse them, to, to overlook them. Because it doesn't really seem to affect other people all that much. It's, it's really us who's being affected by our jealousy. But it's still sin, and all sin is dangerous. All sin is deadly. And jealousy is especially dangerous when we dress it up in the garments of justice, which is often the case with our human ideals of what is right and what is fair. Our sense of fairness is based usually on comparison rather than compassion flowing from grace. And we see this happen in our world, both on a larger societal scale, but as well as individually within our own hearts. For example, uh, and permit me to take the liberty to, to, to speak prophetically into our modern uh, society and culture. We see this kind of comparison-based justice in the ideology that is called popularly critical theory, which according to modern sociologists is a Marxist-based system of thought that when applied on a social level claims to seek justice for the oppressed. 
And now seeking justice for those who are oppressed and those who are vulnerable for any reason, that is a beautiful thing. It is good. It is very much in line with the gospel. But critical theory is a worldview that is not in line with the gospel. It sees all reality through this idea of power structures and it seeks to rearrange them by taking away from one forcibly and giving it to another by compulsion. But see, Jesus taught that when we seek justice, we are to seek it for the oppressed, not out of compulsion, but out of compassion and love. Yet critical theory is rooted in this idea of jealousy. Somebody has something that I don't have, and so I must take it from them so that everything is equal. That is not God's justice. Now, it's easy to critique jealousy on a large social scale like that, but when we look into our own hearts, even within the community of God's own people, His church, it becomes very uncomfortable. Because we don't like to think that we're really guilty of jealousy and envy. But the truth that Jesus wants us to see here in this parable is that we are all tempted and given at times to our jealous hearts. We like to compare ourselves to others, even our own brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, who among us has not at some point in their life been jealous of God's blessing in someone else's life? And on the surface, we we rejoice with them. You know, we say, that's great. I'm so glad the Lord is blessing you like that. But underneath in our hearts, we feel a tinge of jealousy. We're like, I wish I had that. I wish that happened to me. We think that especially if we're walking a particularly difficult road in our lives at that time. I mean, someone else gets a promotion and you think, well, that's great, but that should have been me. I've been here longer I've worked harder. Someone gets a better grade on an exam. Boy, I studied all night for that and they did nothing and got the better grade. That's not fair. Why are they blessed like that? I mean, even pastors at times are guilty of this. You know, you get a group of pastors together and we always ask each other, how are things going? And usually what that means is, well, Are you growing? Is the church growing? And there's this tendency, you don't want to do it, but there's this tendency to to say, man, they just added 10 new members, and why can't we do that? Why isn't the Lord blessing us like that? I mean, Lord, we're trying to be faithful too. Won't you grow us like that? We are all tempted towards jealousy and envy, especially when we find ourselves in the middle of those difficult times, when we suffer pain and loss and heartache and sorrow, we say to the Lord, why can't my life be better? Why are you doing this to me? It's not fair. I don't deserve this. And we think that we actually deserve more than what God has actually given. But here's the reality that we get from this story, is that what we need is actually more than what we really deserve. What we need is more than what we deserve. Because what we deserve, at the end of the day, is God's judgment. God would have been perfectly justified in destroying the world because of its sin and rebellion against Him. 
We have all fallen, as the scriptures say, short of his glory. We are all sinners. We deserve his judgment. That would be right. That would be just. But what he gives us in Christ, in his grace and his mercy, is exactly what we need. The forgiveness of our sins, the cancellation of our sin debt, to be justified before him. We need grace, but we deserve judgment. Looking back at the parable, we see that the master gave his workers exactly what they needed for the day. And that was incredibly generous of him. Day workers in this period of history... Uh, when Jesus is speaking this parable, they were incredibly poor people. A denarius was a fair wage. It was considered normal, but it wasn't a lot of money. Basically, it was enough to pay for the day's needs. Bread, shelter, clothing. It was subsistence pay, nothing more. There was no luxury involved in this. It may seem difficult to imagine, but many slaves in the ancient world at this time in history lived better lives than day laborers. And slaves had guaranteed food and housing and medical care. Every one of their needs was met because they were viewed as as an investment to wealthy landowners. They were given protection, adequate care. In the Roman world, it was not unusual for slaves to actually be considered part of the household, part of the family. But day laborers were never considered that. In fact, they were expendable. They were the ones who were often abused and overworked and brutally beaten. Many of them were cheated out of that denarius, agreeing to come and work, hoping that the master of this particular field would be compassionate and pay them what he agreed to pay them. But often, if he did not, they had no recourse to seek justice in that matter. Unemployment was also a regular problem for them. There was only so much work to go around. And if they didn't work for the day and get that denarius, they wouldn't have the money to pay for their food for the day. They'd often go hungry. Day workers were the oppressed of the oppressed. If anyone needed justice, it was them. And so it is an incredibly generous thing for the master in this story to come to them and hire them. In fact, we see his justice in several ways. First, it is just the hiring of the workers. He's providing for a real need in their lives. He is literally giving them their daily bread and agreeing to pay the fair wage for their labor. Secondly, he goes out at different points of the day, as we saw And he continues to hire additional workers. And the implication of the text is is he really didn't need those additional workers to gather in his grape harvest. In fact, it would have been normal to simply go out and hire everybody you needed at the beginning of the day. And he most likely did that. He had everyone he needed. So when he goes out in the third hour and he sees workers who are standing around idle, he hires them. And Jesus doesn't mean to imply here that these workers who are there at the third hour were somehow lazy and unwilling to work. No, they wanted to work. It's just nobody had hired them. 
They were there when the first group was hired, perhaps waiting for another landowner to come and to hire them, but no one came. And so this landowner, when he sees them standing there, he says, you know what? I don't want you to go hungry. Come, come to my vineyard. I'll pay you what is fair. Come, work for me. It is so incredibly generous and compassionate of the master to do that, even for that group at the third hour. But then imagine for those in the middle of the day when he goes out. He's like, you know, these guys are still here. They still haven't been hired. Why don't you come as well? And then you get to the 11th hour when there's only one day, one hour left in the day. The job's practically done. He really doesn't need them at all. But he says, hey, come on over to my vineyard, work for an hour, and I'll pay you. He meets their need when nobody else was willing to do so. And then we come to the end of the day. The work's done. It's now time to pay the laborers, as we've already seen. And he gives all of them a day's wage, irregardless of when they started to work, the exact same wage. He meets everybody's need equally. They could eat, they could live, they could go out, they had what they needed. And that's the compassion of the kingdom. That's the compassion of the gospel. You see, some people come into the kingdom early in life. They are raised in the church. They are part of God's covenant people. And they serve Him faithfully their whole life. And they, at the end, receive the reward of eternal life. Others run from the Lord their entire life. They hide from Him. But eventually, God sends His hound of heaven who hunts them down. And in grace, He brings them into His kingdom, into His vineyard. And what do they get? The same reward, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, being united to God forever. That's the beauty of the gospel. At the cross, everything is even. All of us can come and experience the same mercy, the same grace, no matter what time of day it is. Of course, as we've already seen, the first group of workers, they weren't happy about that arrangement. They grumbled, they complained to the master. But the master answers them. And he gives three questions that are designed to show them that what he did indeed give them was not only fair and just, but it was generous and merciful. The first question is found in verse 13. The master says to one of the first workers who complained about what they had received, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? And the master addresses this complainer as friend. I love that. He's not viewing him as an enemy, as someone outside of the master's generosity. He says, no, you are my friend. And then he explains, I haven't done you anything wrong. Didn't we actually agree to a denarius? And of course, there's no way to argue that. They did. They said, hey, we will work the day for a day's 
wage. And that is exactly what they got. No more, no less. They were paid a day's wage. The master was faithful to his word. And just like the master in the story, God is always faithful to his word. He gives exactly what he promises. He does exactly what he said he will do. And what does he promise? Well, he promises grace and the forgiveness of sins when we come to him in repentance, in faith, when we bow before Christ the King. Of course, he also says the opposite, that if you reject Jesus, if you reject the one who is the mediator, the one who came to redeem you, you will remain in the curse of sin and judgment. He does not give more or less than that. He is true to his word. When God says he'll do something, it is guaranteed he will do it. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2, this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, that is Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even when faith wavers, God's faithfulness and commitment to his promises, his covenant promises, it remains. And so when he says, I will redeem you, I will bring you into my family, even when we stumble and fall, he still does that. He's, because he has promised it and he must remain faithful to his word. The second question is found in verse 15. The master asks these complaining workers, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? The wages paid to the workers wasn't theirs to demand. It wasn't their money. It was the master's wealth. It didn't belong to them. And he could distribute it as he chose. And who were they then to demand more than what he had actually promised to give them? God is not a debtor to any man or woman. He doesn't owe us anything. He is, after all, the creator, the, the, the almighty ruler of all that exists. What right does a clay, the clay have to say to the potter, why did you make me this way? And that's how Paul presents it in Romans 9, where he takes up the question of, is God unjust? And he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And the master here was very merciful. He gave everyone what he said he would give. And he gave it freely of his own choosing. The third question is also found in verse 15. And the master zeroes in on the complaining workers and he says to them, Why do you begrudge my generosity? Literally what he says here, if we were to translate it literally as Is your eye evil towards me because I'm good? 
to you? Are you looking at me in bad light because I've been good towards you and towards other? And his point is this, is, hey, guys, you're in the wrong here, not me. You are jealous of my generosity, of my generous grace that I have shown towards others because you think that you deserve more. Why are you not satisfied with the grace that you have been given? Because my gifts, whether you get them at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, they are always good. See, God is a good God. And because He's a good God, He cannot give bad gifts to His people. That's how James explains it. In James chapter 1, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's true to His word. He is sovereign. He gives as He chooses. And He gives in goodness. That is what grace is. It's more than we deserve, but it's exactly what we need. That's the justice of the kingdom of heaven. And it's the justice this world needs. It's the justice that you and I need. I mean, all of us are going to experience injustices in this world, some of us perhaps more than others. And all of us, at times, will treat our fellow man unjustly because we are sinners. So all of us need God's perfect justice. And when you find yourself tempted to grow jealous because you see God's blessing on others in their lives, remember that God is always good. He is always sovereign. And He is always faithful to His Word. He will grant you mercy and grace for whatever your need is in that moment, whatever your situation will be. And if you find yourself to be a victim of injustice, look to Jesus. Look to Him who Himself suffered the greatest of all injustices, the sinless One who died for sinners and rest in His generous grace. And to the world, let us as God's people point them to the justice of our good God. Let us not compromise the gospel of truth by turning to human ideals of justice and trying to make the world better because after all, we'll end up treating somebody unjustly if we do that. But let us treat them through the compassion and love of the gospel, the perfect justice of God. And let us rejoice that God has given us not what we deserve, but in Christ, exactly what we need. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this mercy that is so great and so generous. We're thankful that in your love and generous grace, you sent your Son to die for us, to be our Savior, so that in him, when we come to him in faith, turning away from our own sinfulness, bowing before him as our King and Savior, we receive great mercy and every sin is forgiven. 
And we're thankful, Father, that you continue to call people into that kingdom, that you have been doing it for many generations and you are continuing to do it. And so, Father, we ask that if there are those who have continued to resist the grace of God, that you would break into their lives and show them the goodness of the gospel and what they really need is to be forgiven in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.